You're listening to the Bitcoin.com podcast. Our guest today is Danis Chowdhury, Managing Director of the Bitcoin.com Exchange. This show is only provided for informational purposes only. It is not offered or intended to be used as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. This episode is brought to you by the Bitcoin.com Exchange, the exchange you can trust. Buy and sell Bitcoin as well as 250 digital assets. The Bitcoin.com exchange is secure, fast, easy, and reliable. Register within seconds and buy crypto with a credit or debit card. Join our community of traders now. Exchange.bitcoin.com. I'm your host, Dustin Planthold. Join us as we dive into the world of economics, politics, tech, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency. For even more crypto-related news, sign up at news.bitcoin.com or follow us on Twitter at Bitcoin.com. Now let's bring on our guest. Donish, welcome to The Recap Show. Thanks for having me. So talk to us. What has happened this past week in crypto? Uh, so it's been another exciting week. Uh, you know, I think we uh, had an exciting week last week and the week before. I think every week there's there's new news that comes out. Um, so I think the biggest piece that might be rolling in from last week, I think we spoke about NFTs. Um, I think the biggest NFT sale has just happened at Christie's, actually, which was really exciting to see that a traditional um, art auction house getting into the NFT space. Um, and they uh, auctioned off, uh, there's an artist called Beeple. Uh, I forget what his real name is, but uh, I mean, he's fairly public anyway. Um, his, his pseudonym is Beeple. Uh, and it was a piece called Every Day is the First 5,000 Days. And it took, um, you know, it's, it's basically a piece of NFT that has uh, very small little pictures on it, a collage, uh, which, which, you know, it has been formed into a digital art, uh, piece of art uh, as an NFT, and it's sold for a whopping $69 million. And I think that's pretty much, I think, the top two, I think, NFT sales in the world now. $69 million. Now, so what will happen if, I don't know, two years goes by and they want to they wanna get rid of it? What do they do? So they would probably, you mean, you mean the owners, uh, yes. the new buyer, I suppose. Um, so what they've actually done, the owners have put it into uh, what I believe is, is an NFT fund of sorts. Um, it's a, um, they've, they've got a fund uh, which holds NFTs and other pieces of art and et cetera, et cetera that, that, you know, um, people can buy into as well but if you want to sell it you will go back to christie's and you will say hey or whoever it is essentially uh that you know i'd like to auction this off again and there could be like another option they could look up private sale or they could do basically anything they want with it because it's an nft that they own and it's in their wallet now the cool thing about it also is with some nfts i have to check if they did it in in five thousand days but in some nfts because it's a token that's tied to a smart contract. Um, and we didn't cover this last time. Um, usually you can build in uh, a, a, um, a, a, build in a percentage of proceeds that go to the original author with every sale that happens subsequently. So for example, 
people sold for 69 million, let's say there was a, a 10% um, you know, fee on that for the original artist. So the artist will get 6.9 million. And if it sells for like 100 million later, the artist will get $10 million out of it. So it's like, it's that, it kind of um, protects the original artist and the author uh, because, you know, you often see works of art that the artist sold for $100. And then the guy who actually bought it goes on and sells it for $10 million. But the original artist doesn't see any any proceeds or revenue from it. So I think with the NFTs, uh, smart contract, you can actually build that into it. So that kind of pr protects original authenticity. Um, so, yeah, the owners can go and sell it again. And... Um, yeah, people still kind of benefit from it. So it sounds like that this new emerging ecosystem, I mean, this this idea that is that you can take something and be compensated forever on it, as opposed to a one and done, that this does become potentially a better distribution model than the way it's been done in the past. Am I wrong? Definitely. No, it will change. So it's, think of like artist rights, right? Like you are an artist that recorded a song and your rights are on an NFT or your song is an NFT. Now, a lot of artists get screwed by their record labels or whoever or whatever it is sort of thing. This enables protection for the original author. And I think this will become uh, the bigger distribution model going and so forward. And where, where do you think it's going to head? Do you think it's going to be just this or do you, are we going to start to see albums even where, where famous artists are going to sell an entire album that way? Yeah, we'll definitely see that. I think, uh, you know, we spoke about the Kings of Leon doing that album, but that was more on uh, the added um, advantage, the added stuff, content that kind of came with it. Uh, you know, like in the old school, you used to have like a CD and you'd open up the CD pack and you'd see all of all sorts of fun stuff. Um, but I think we will see a full-blown album as an NFT at some point. I think there's a little bit of compatibility um, stuff, compatibility piece here and there that needs to be solved. Like how do you take, an NFT and put it in an MP3 that you know can play on your computer or play on your on your Spotify or play whatever sort of thing. Uh, but I think that's where it's going to head. Where you know each each song, each album could be a non fungible piece of uh, piece of tech. So it doesn't sound like this is something that is just going to be like a fad, like a beanie baby, and just going to go away. That this is something that will continue to be and evolve. Yeah, I think, I mean, definitely there is a bit of a fad situation right now. I mean, you know, 69 million for, for a piece of art, which is great. Um, you know, people are selling, uh, I think, who was it? It was uh, one guy who just took photos of him unboxing um, Pokemon cards and he sold pictures of it for $15,000 and people bought it. So I think that's a little fad-esque. Uh, you know, just a picture of somebody unboxing a, a Pokemon card. But I think, you know, um, as with every fad, um, you know, there's, there's a peak. But I think this is one of those where, you know, even after it kind of dies down, it will reemerge as uh, the go-to mechanism uh, for people to own unique items. So what else has been happening in this past world or this past week in the world? Uh, so more on, I guess, the financial and more institutional side of things. Uh, Morgan Stanley came out yesterday and it's uh, going to start allowing um, its wealth management clients, like the wealthier of the sort, uh, access to Bitcoin through um, other funds that they're going to offer. So in the US, um, a lot of people cannot directly, quote unquote, legally, I suppose, uh, invest in Bitcoin as part of their investment portfolio. You can't put it in an IRA, you can't put it 
um, you know, you can go to your wealth manager and say, hey, I want Bitcoin as an exposure. They almost likely say, go buy it yourself directly. And so that excludes, uh, you know, uh, direct Bitcoin holdings from most people's IRAs, most people's investment portfolios, etc. Um, but there's a company called uh, Galaxy Digital. Uh, um, sorry, not Galaxy Digital. Um, what was it called again? Uh, Grayscale, sorry. The Grayscale Investment Trust, which is basically a trust that's fully... Um, you know, uh, regulatory compliant, it's got units, it buys Bitcoin and offers these units to uh, people who want to put it as part of their retirement, people who want to put it as part of their, their portfolio. Um, I think Morgan Stanley is going to start allowing people to uh, to purchase that through through them. Um, also, other funds that are owned by actually Galaxy Digital, uh, NYDIG and a few other sort of things. So you'll see a lot more wealthier um client access Bitcoin in a very tax efficient, regulatory compliant sort of way. So it's kind of fascinating that you went from a, and again, while this is a show not about financial advice, but you went from a, a market that said, we will never get near this. We will never touch it. It is, it is the wild, wild west. It is not good. It's not okay to now they're starting to embrace and are, and are they embracing it because of their clients? Or are they embracing it because they truly see the value in this ecosystem as it evolves? I think it's a bit of both, really. You know, you will see um, some institutions actually believe in the idea behind Bitcoin, the idea behind cryptocurrency and the technology behind it. Um, and some institutions want to uh, capitalize on it, mainly because there is now more retail demand than was before. So now, you know, um, anybody who's a 15-year-old to, uh, you know, a retired pensioner would want access to Bitcoin. And I think uh, institutions have realized that there is demand. People are reading about it. People are looking into it. Um, and they want to be able to service those clients. So, you know, Morgan Stanley doesn't want you to go directly to Coinbase and try try buying some because, you know, uh, they'd be losing clients. So they want to be able to give people access directly through that. So Coinbase is now going to be doing an IPO. What is this going to look like? I mean, this will be the first time a company coming from this ecosystem uh, is going to be out there for the world to see. What do you think they're going to face over there? What what will this be like? Uh, it'll be interesting. I think it'll be, it's already groundbreaking for uh, any crypto exchange to IPO. Um, I think people have... Uh, because as part of the IPO process, um, the company has to submit an S1 filing and they have to register the shares they're going to sell. And so you can go to the SEC website and actually just look into the company. So um, users get, um, users or anybody who's curious can actually peer into the details of the company, like how much they earn, how much assets, how many assets do they have, what clients do they have, uh, how is their growth, et cetera. Um, and looking at, what Coinbase presents as its numbers, uh, it looks pretty promising. And I think right now they're valued at 65 or $67 billion. And I think I can't see why it's not a $100 billion company as soon as it comes out. I mean, a $100 billion company. Yeah. Think about how remarkable that is. And, and it's interesting to the listeners out there that many of them have already had this preconceived notion that exchanges are bad and, they're, and some of these people mm -hmm. are good. And yet you are one of the people in the space, Donish, that's really leading the charge. I mean, and, and there are others like the Coinbase that are 
that are saying, we know it needs to evolve. It needs to get better. That in order yeah. for the masses to embrace it, it must have regulation. It must have compliance features. It must be done right. Properly. Yeah. And I think that's exciting is what, what it sounds like what you're saying. And here's what I'm hearing is that this space is maturing as a whole. It's getting older. Yeah. It's growing up essentially. It's not just um, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of nerds in the basement, just, you know, um, trading tokens sort of thing. It's growing up. It's gone from um, what was just a, a digital currency that people could buy drugs off of the, the Silk Road off of to like an actual asset class um, that has proven its use case, that's proven uh, the technology behind it. Um, and I think the platforms that allow access uh allow retail access to to such assets i think it's it only makes sense for them to grow like you know this the stock exchange or your e-trades of the world or your interactive brokers or other exchanges that allow you to uh, or other dealer brokers that allow you to trade these stocks like they started out at some place the market matured when at that point when they ipo'd and when they went public and when they got bought out sort of thing i think you know these are market cycles and i think this is the cycle where where you know this industry kind of grows up and becomes more public so talk about how you can stay on top of things. I mean, here you are, you're the CEO of a, a very well-known exchange. How do you keep on top of all of the amazing things that keep happening within the space? Where do you get guidance from? Where do you learn uh, so that you don't take that wrong step or you follow the wrong person? How do you, yeah, how do you find your way in this, in this journey? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just looking at it from a average um, newcomers perspective, I suppose. I think there is, there's a lot of information out there and sometimes there's information overload. Like I even feel information overload, right? I've got the exchange and I've got, you know, telegram rooms, I've got discord chat. Like there's so much information just floating around that, you know, people, a person could get lost very, very easily. So I think, um, you know, there, there's various basic, I think, uh, two main or three main tools that I, I kind of use um, in learning about it. And I think people should really look into it is, um, you know, number one, I guess, obviously, you know, not biased because we're part of that company, um, the Bitcoin.com news uh, site. So it's news.bitcoin.com. Uh, you know, I do a daily scan of it. It's not too overloaded. It's written in a way that an average person can easily understand what's going on. I think it gives you um, the right kind of exposure uh, both from what's happening in a macro scale, like regulatory wise, like what is the uh, Federal Reserve saying about something? Or what is, um, you know, what are the Bitcoin miners saying? And then you can actually delve deeper into resources around that site. And even on, on our exchange that we have, uh, you know, the Crypto 101 sort of resources that you can actually link through and kind of learn. Okay, so this is what a miner does. This is what Bitcoin stands for. This is what Bitcoin Cash stands for. This is what, um, you know, all these various bits and pieces are. So I think that's, a bit, it, that's like one of the tools in the arsenal that I definitely have. I think like um, the biggest thing um, that users can do if they're still looking, umming and eyeing about it, I think it's just taking the first step. I think they should just go and put $100 in, right? Uh, put $100 into... Uh, Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash. Uh, I think the easiest tool that we have created and produced and, and is one of the most used wallets out there is the Bitcoin.com wallet. 
Um, you know, the guys uh, have done an excellent job where you can just put in your credit debit card and get, you know, uh, $100 of Bitcoin or $200 of Bitcoin cash directly in your, in your account immediately. I think once you own that asset, um, you automatically get involved in the sense like you start understanding the mechanics around it. You start uh, looking at, yeah, it's a volatile asset. So for example, if it goes down, um, you immediately look up like, oh, what happened in the market today? And I think that kind of builds up a little bit of a, a little bit of understanding. I think there's um, definitely some um, uh, mailing lists. So I've got, uh, I've signed up to, uh, you know, the BlockWorks uh, mailing list. Uh, they kind of send it out on, on a daily basis. It's just kind of like snippets of what's going on in the market sort of thing. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it's very overwhelming. I think you've got, you know, people who are on Twitter talking about, you know, these are the charts and this is what's happening. People are on YouTube talking about this. I think um, it's really just, uh, you know, you, it's hard to drown out all the noise, but I think once you buy Bitcoin Cash, for example, you know, um, you have a wealth of resources available even within the wallet that tell you, hey, this is the merchant that accepts Bitcoin Cash, or here's the map that shows me where uh, Bitcoin Cash is being used, or you know, here's the uh, news and resources from Bitcoin.com, etc., within the wallet sort of thing. Um, I think when you buy Bitcoin or when you buy Tron, you start following uh, those communities, and then you get to learn more about the founders, and then you kind of get you know involved. In it. So yeah, I think it's very. Um, you, you just got to take the first first little steps into it. Once you own the asset, you will automatically gravitate towards learning more about it. And so how much time does it take to really learn? I mean, most people, they want to know things overnight. I mean, it sounds to me that this is a process that each person must do their own research. They must come to their own conclusion, independent of anybody else or any video that they might hear that at the end of the day, you are your own, you, like you are, you're obligated to yourself of, are you making the right decisions for you? Have you, have you connected with your advisors? Did you ask them to, that these are all questions that, from my opinion, is that you must ask yourself these questions along the way. So you don't get lost in the wrong video. I think I've told you in the past, when I entered this ecosystem, all I had was YouTube and it was these crazy uh, promises that if you bought this, it would go up to life-changing. And, <laughs> and, and I look at that and go, why would you give people false hope? Why would you promise them something that not necessarily is going to happen? And and you're not a place to give them that advice. And so what I love, Donish, from you is what you're saying is, here's what I would do. And it's just my opinion. Here's what I yeah, think. Yeah. That if you're going to come into something you've never done before, you don't just go in all in. It's you got to learn about it. You've, you've got you've to get better at, at what you know so that you aren't taking the same kind of risks. And, and it sounds like that's what Morgan Stanley and a number of these other major houses, they've now come to the place where they've done their analysis. They've done their research. And now their words, not ours, they're going to their clients saying, we encourage it. We yeah. think you should, their own words. When you have Harvard and many of these other publications that are coming out talking about that, look, that you know, some of these people should add two to 3% of their, in, into a long-term trust. I mean, they're, they're really now talking long-term to these seasoned investors, which I am not, I'm a buy an old guy. Um, and I think that's what's interesting, Donish, is that the space is evolving and maturing. And then there are people like you that are doing everything you can to keep, uh, I don't know, keep, keep growing it. So any other final thoughts you have? And as well as, as we go into a new week, what do you think we could expect? Uh, any, uh, I don't know, secret sauce you can give us. Uh, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I think like, you know, as you, uh, everybody has their own formula of learning stuff. I think it's just really 
dipping your toes in a little bit, really getting immersed, immersed. Um, you know, you don't have to, there's, there's 20,000 cryptocurrencies out there. You don't have to own all of them. Just buy hundred dollars of one, look into it more. If you like it, great. Buy some more, $200 of another one. Once you like it, because information's everywhere. So I think, yeah, I think everybody has their own formula. I think it's just, you know, you got to make the plunge in first, just, just tiptoes in, not like, you know, betting the house sort of thing. Um, and that way you'll, you'll definitely learn. Um, so I think the upcoming week is going to still be exciting. Uh, I'd love to see, uh, I think they just announced today or yesterday that SEC has recognized um, another filing for a Bitcoin ETF. Now, uh, as that evolves, that'll be really interesting. Um, you know, I think Bitcoin ETFs were a thing. Two years ago, and then they got smacked down by the SEC like multiple times. And you know, we'll see. We'll see how that pans out this time around because I think um, they'll they'll come around and see the importance of it, given all the institutions that are already in it. I think once the ETF gets approved, then it's kind of off to the races with Bitcoin, I suppose. Yanis, thank you again for coming on the recap and bringing us up to speed of what's happening in the digital asset ecosystem. Thanks again. Thanks for having me, Dustin. We know you enjoyed the show, but please don't forget, this show is only provided for informational purposes only. It is not offered or intended to be used as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. You've listened to another episode of the Bitcoin.com podcast. Subscribe at news.bitcoin.com, where your journey begins.